0: glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye you know not the truth, but because ye you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that dece- denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now let me start by saying a few things that will... Address what what the last verse is going to conclude with, how many of you are aware of this ideology in our world that you can produce righteousness uh, without Jesus Christ? In fact, Hollywood promotes that not too much they're not too concerned with righteousness. don't get mad at me. I always have to say that before I say what I'm about to say. but for many years, the Walt Disney Company and its films promoted and has promoted, especially in older films, the idea that we can be moral and righteous without God. And if you'll study what I'm saying, I'm not, my point is not about that tonight, but they, they represent what is really humanism, and that is it is inherent in the human DNA to be able to produce the righteousness that God requires without Jesus Christ. Now, people like this might say, if you want to believe in the Jesus of the Bible and that helps you do what's right, that's okay. But faith in Jesus Christ is not necessary for righteousness, and those individuals treat Jesus of the Bible as if he were one of many religious leaders rather than treating him as he is the Son of God, God in the flesh. May I say today, what is called science in our time right now outright flatly rejects Jesus Christ. You cannot accept the so-called science of our day and be a Christian. I know Christians that do. You know people that claim to be Christians that do. You cannot accept that something's not true unless it is scientifically provable. Now, by the way, I don't think true Bible, Christianity, and science are in any conflict whatsoever. True science. I said science falsely so called. They had it in Paul's day. The theory of evolution is not science. It is not. If the theory of evolution is true, the virgin birth is not. I'm just trying to say the same mentality that produces the theory of evolution denies the virgin birth. You realize as Darwinism came on the rise, more denial, even in theological institutions, came of the virgin birth, the bodily physical resurrection, and the bodily return of Jesus Christ. To deny that Jesus was born of a virgin is denial of Christ because that's who he's revealed to be. To deny that he raised in a body of flesh is denial of Christ, because that's who he's declared to be. To deny that he's coming again in the flesh is a denial of Christ. You see, what John was dealing with was not atheistic or secular people. He was dealing with people coming into the church who had been exposed to the gospel and had rejected it. That's called an apostate. Someone who has come under the convincing power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel that they know exactly. I mean, you guys that witness to people a lot, how many of you know there are people that are very abrasive to the gospel, but they could tell you what you believe before you tell them? They would say something like this. You believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We do. Where did you, where did you learn that? Somebody told them. You believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We do, and they know that. The people that John was dealing with were people, they knew what the believers knew, but they had rejected that. And they were now saying, but there is, a, there is a greater truth that what you know is not enough. And John's reminding them, no, what you know of Christ is enough. You don't need to be taught something more by some man, something different. You know the truth. You have the Spirit of God. And so then uh, he is settling them that uh, what I've said, the last verse really is going to give us our introduction. He makes a statement at the end. He said, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And we'll say more about that verse when we get to it, but I think that kind of really sums up chapter 2. You cannot do righteousness without being born again. (laughs) You have to be born of Jesus Christ, born of God. And so there were those coming along preaching a righteousness separate from the Christ of the Bible. And John says, don't let that seduce you. I believe there are more believers in our day seduced by modern. I say modern. It's been around for all these thousands of years. But the new, newly packaged so-called science. There are more people today who are, who are Christians but are intimidated by the promoters of the theory of evolution. They are intimidated by people who say, science is on our side. You Bible thumpers don't believe Science. No, we just believe in the God who created it all, and he can overcome his own rules when he so sees fit. I understand he designed us to all be born a certain way, but in the person of Jesus Christ, he circumvented his own rules because he's the creator, and Jesus was born without an earthly father because God said so. And so then, uh, they were dealing with the same kind of things we deal with today. It's just a little more sophisticated, I think, in our day. So I want to give you a few things here, just three points tonight, uh, in verses 20 down through verse 29 John is going to speak to the, the the believers he's speaking to let me remind you he's not writing to as far as we know he may have been writing to a specific local church but these epistles are called the general epistles and so it wasn't addressed to one church it's addressed to uh, the believers in general if you would it's not really addressed in any way so it's not the book of Ephesians or the book of Colossians it's John writing to those that he had brought to faith in Christ and so, and was responsible for and so then, having said that, when he talks about they went out from us, another preacher I read this week made this point and I want to, and I want to make it again. When he says they went out from us for they were not of us, that doesn't mean just because someone leaves the church they're an apostate. Some people leave church because they're out of God's will. Uh, some people leave church because the Lord's dealt with them somewhere and they say no and they get backslidden or they get out. You can be saved and out of church. You can be saved and go to a bad church. And so he's not talking about... what <laughs> It would be terrible if a church formed the idea every person that doesn't stand by a very bad church is an apostate. And we might not pray for them like we're supposed to, Right? However, when he says they went out from us for they were not of us, he's talking about those that went out from the truths of Jesus Christ that we hold. They left Christianity, if you would, as it is defined in the Bible. They left Christ. They left the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you'll study, and don't study it much, but if you just know your history, the cults of our day that are, they are growing by leaps, leaps and bounds. Do you realize most of them started under fundamental Bible preaching? Charles Taze Russell was very familiar with the fundamental truths of the Bible. And out of rejecting the gospel, he founded the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Though you you would understand that um, uh, the the, the various cult leaders were exposed to the gospel and said, no, I don't accept that. And they countered with some other truth that was supposedly superior to the gospel. That's why we have a so-called another testament of Jesus Christ. There is no other testament of Jesus Christ. Uh, Joseph Smith, very familiar with the gospel, very familiar with who the Bible says Jesus is. And that's why many times the Book of Mormon reads so similarly to the Bible because he was so familiar with the Bible. And so cultists and apostates are very familiar with the truth. They just reject it and say we have something superior to what you believed when you first got saved. And John, again, is going to say a few things to try to keep those under his care grounded so that they're not deceived by the seducers of this time. The first thing we'll look at, just by way of our outline to help us understand this text tonight, is John's explanation to the saints. He's going to explain some things to them, uh, beginning with, and we'll just review a little bit last week, the believer's consecration. He's going to talk about their unction. And so then, and that's verse 20. Again, we, we parked there for the entire message last week. But ye have, that's present tense, an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. And he mentions that again in verse 27, where here it's called the anointing, same underlying Greek word. And he says, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. John's just reminding them, when you were born again, you were anointed or sealed with the Spirit of God. That set you apart from the rest of the world. That unction is that anointing of God that says, this is my child, this one belongs to me. And by the way, the Bible says we're sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. One of the best verses in the entire Bible on what is called eternal security. That when God saves us, He gives us His Holy Spirit, promises not to take Him away, and seals us to the day of redemption, the day we get a new body. So John reminds them, you have an unction. You who are saved have been sealed by and anointed with the Holy Ghost, indwelt by the Holy Ghost. That's what sets God's people apart from the world. We have God dwelling in us. We have an unction. So he reminds them or explains to them their consecrated position. You have an unction from the Holy One. Number two, we won't say much more about that because of the detail given to it last week. He reminds them of the believer's comprehension something that we who preach and pastor and often uh, when we try to help people go forward in spiritual development and obedience, many times, what do you think is one of the number one pleas for why we're not obeying the counsel of the Word of God by the Spirit of God? I didn't know. I had no idea. There are people who have been saved for 20 years and they may behave like, I didn't know that's what God wanted in my life. I didn't know. Many times, how many of you know little children use this same technique sometimes to get in trouble with mom and dad? Why didn't you do such and such? I didn't know you wanted me to. I I, I told you. Did you hear me tell you? And all of a sudden, the naive parent thinks, well, I thought I told them. Praise God for a mom and a dad. You say, did you hear me tell them? You told them. Ha ha! I'm glad for a wife with a better memory than me. I told you. How do you know? Mom told me I told you. No, I'm kidding. We don't, we don't go there, right? The point is, when we want to excuse ourselves from our responsibility, we often say, I didn't know. Now, what John is reminding is, but you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Meaning, there's really no excuse For the child of God to get deceived, we have his presence, we have his word written for us. And what John is saying, and I don't think he's so much reprimanding them for making excuses, but he does remind them, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. That know all things is not the idea, there was nothing more to learn. There were a bunch of know-it-alls. The idea is, you, you know all that you have, Paul said it this way, you have the mind of Christ. You have everything you need in Christ. The knowledge that you need is in Him. And we said it last week. Uh, These people, though they may not have had a completed copy of God's Word, they had the same knowledge we have. What do we not know that we need to know if we have a Bible? We know all things meaning we have all knowledge at our disposal. That's, Paul would deal with that with his believers, that all things are yours in Christ. What is it that we need to know that Jesus Christ, our Savior, by the Holy Spirit cannot teach us? He said he would guide us into all truth. So if, if the child of God is really ignorant of the will of God, it's not because it's not available to us. We can avail ourselves, Of the mind of God. We have the mind of Christ because we have an unction. We have the teacher dwelling in our hearts. I am not teaching you extra biblical instruction. Some, I read some some critic of the Bible this week. Someone was talking about the the authority of the written word. And they said, well, instead of being an idolater and worshiping your Bible, it's better to have a direct connection with God. Oh, you talk about a wicked person. Someone that would, would, would ostracize the Bible and say that when someone loves the Bible, it's idolatry. That person's wicked. That's all I'm saying. David said, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day long. He was not an idolater. He was a man after God's own heart. If a person hates the Bible, by the way, they hate Christ. Just mark that down. Someone who hates the Bible, this is the written word, is the portrait of the living word. It is Christ personified on the page. My all I'm saying is this we have been given to us by the Holy Spirit all knowledge. Got a question. How many of you know how the world came into existence? How do you know? He you told us. How many of you know what happened? Uh, how do you how many of you know how the Grand Canyon was formed? See, so, well the Bible did not talk about the Grand Canyon. It sure does talk about the flood that caused it. How many of you know how fossils ended up I mean how seashells end up on mountain tops? We got a pretty good idea on that? How many of us know how Jesus was born? How many of us know whether or not he sinned? I've asked people this before. Did Jesus ever sin? They go, I don't know. Do you know? He told us. He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. How many of you know whether or not he's actually going to come again? Do you know that? How many of you know what Jesus Christ thinks about using our lips to lie? Do we know? Do we know his mind on that issue? How many of us know what Jesus thinks of hypocrisy? Do we know? He said so. You're like, we know all things, don't we? We know everything we need to know. How do we know? He told us. He told us. And so then, uh, praise God, He's given it to us, preserved it for us in the book. He's given us His Holy Spirit in our hearts to teach us and guide us into all truth. So John reminds them, hey, you have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Verse 21, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. I'll say again something I've been saying this series. It grieves me to see Christians turn to something other than their prayer closet, their Bible, and the things that the Spirit of God, teaching, preaching His Word, exhortation of other God's people. Then when we turn to something other than the provision of the Holy Spirit of God for instruction, that grieves me. It grieves me to see pastors quoting lost men to help us understand how to live the Christian life. That grieves me. We don't need that. We have what we need. One of the commentators I've been reading that's been very helpful to me is a man by the name of John Phillips. Man, he really just makes a point of this, and I appreciate it, that listen, you've got the Bible, you have the Holy Spirit of God, you have His mind. You don't need something more than that for any part of your life. Turn, if you would, very quickly to 2 Peter chapter 1. I don't know of a better text to explain what John's saying when he says he you know all things. He's reminding or explaining to the believer their consecrated position, you have an unction, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Uh, You have comprehension, you know all things. Uh, Again, in verse 21, he says, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it. And so then in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So according to his divine power, he has given unto us what? All things that pertain unto life and godliness. If we're saved tonight, we're equipped For life and godliness. How equipped? Fully. Now, why would God need to say this to us? Because we might think, you know, I'm I'm missing something. Not if you're saved. If you're saved, you're missing nothing. You have what you need. How many times do saved people turn to a lost world for marriage counseling? You say, I don't know. I hope not very much. More than you'd like to know, I'm afraid. We turn to an unbelieving world to counsel us on finances and on children and on marriage and, and on a host of things because we're not confident in the mind of God. Now, sadly, what I've seen in my life is we have the mind of God, but we're not very impressed with the knowledge He has imparted to us. This is why it's called seduction. It's why Paul, John says, I'm writing this concerning them which seduce you. What the world offers us through their philosophers and the religious teachers is more appealing to the flesh than what God says. Now hear me, Knight. You must know this. If not, you'll get deceived. You'll get seduced out of your reward. You can't be seduced out of your salvation if you're born again, but you sure can get seduced out of your reward by a world that gives you knowledge that is more appealing than what God gives. Now listen, I've watched this all my Christian life. I've watched the temptation of it in my own life, and I've watched many of God's people get robbed of the blessings of the abundant Christian life through some seducer who said, I know all this, what the Bible says, and then they explain away why, why the mind of God is not what you think it is, even though the Spirit of God already told you it is. And they offer you some counter-truth. There's no such thing as counter-truth. There's truth and there's lies. It's exactly what John is saying. Go back to verse John chapter 2. There is not truth and counter-truth. There's not truth and better truth. There's truth and there's lies. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of God in His Word because we have an unction from the Holy One. We have the anointing of God if we are saved. Verse 21, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. What he's saying is, He's going to explain to them, he did, their consecrated position. You have an unction. He explains to them their capability, their, their comprehension. You know all things. He said, I didn't write you because you don't know the truth. What he's saying is, I'm not writing to you to inform you of things that you don't already know. I'm writing to you because you know the truth, and I'm trying to expose to you what is not the truth. And he says, now I'm I'm writing to you to explain to you your capability. Because you know the truth, you have the ability to recognize a lie a kind of question. When we know that something is a lie, should we continue to entertain it as though it might be true or flat-out reject it? Flat-out reject it. I'll give you this example. It's good to go back and use creation as an example because there's been such a debate over it since 1830, but among Christians there shouldn't be. How many of you have ever heard of theistic evolution? There's no such thing. That is a compromise with a lie. So what it created is a more subtle lie than the first one. When we compromise with a lie, it makes the lie more subtle. You say, what do you mean? Our Bible says that in six literal days, evening and morning, God created the heaven and the earth. Six literal days. Then somebody developed what men have believed a long time. I don't believe God did that because they don't want God in their life. So they began developing theories of, well, if we weren't created, then we had to come about some other way. Do you know how evolution came about? First of all, there was rejection of creation. Do you know what Charles Darwin knew? He knew that God said he created us. That was not convenient to him. It's not what he wanted to believe. So he went to the Galapagos Islands and noticed how the beaks of hummingbirds and such were growing. Well, he must have evolved. (laughs) Because species change the way they look. Species must change into other species. That's a beautiful theory, is it? Not. Not. No, it's not. But he developed that, as you well know. And what Christians began, a lot of Christians in the mid-1800s got thrown because Darwin was brilliant. And he wrote his book, The Origin of the Species, and there were so-called Christian writers in that day. Mr. Westcott and Hort, who have given us our New English translations, were enamored with and even, to my understanding, believed in the theory of evolution. Isn't that amazing? Here's what happened. People saw that theory and they were intimidated by a lie, but the Christians should have known that's a lie. If we evolved, then Jesus lied because when he said, he that made them male and female in the beginning made them such and said a man should leave his father and mother and cleave and his wife, meaning Jesus believed the creation count of Genesis and taught it and preached it with authority. And so if Darwin's telling the truth, and Jesus was not. And the Christian should have said, I know, that by the way, many upon many, thousands upon thousands said, no, I flat out reject it. But over time, somebody says, boy, there's some. there seems to be some truth in what Mr. Darwin wrote and others of his time who have sophisticated it and brought it for, further forward and said, well, maybe, maybe what we believe is true and what they believe is true. No lies out of the truth. John says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. You know the truth. How I many of you can read Genesis 1, chapter 1? and get a clear picture of how God says he created the heaven and the earth. It's, look, it's not fuzzy. The only thing that makes it fuzzy is entertaining the theory of evolution. How many of us believe and know that Jesus was truly conceived in the womb of a virgin by a miracle and born of a virgin? Then how do people who claim to be Christians get into theological institutions and say he was not? Because they're liars. So that's not nice. I wouldn't try to be nice. I'm trying to tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I didn't say it. it's what the word of God says do you realize that the Bible says if any man love not our Lord Jesus Christ let him be anathema maranath that doesn't mean hate him it means don't fellowship don't, don't try to get along with someone who rejects Christ they either got to be one or not but there's no fellowship between light and darkness that's what he's saying and John's saying here look you know the truth therefore you have the capability to recognize a lie you know, that tells me that we have a responsibility as well. Where there's capability, there's responsibility. First Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. There is to be in the child of God. We have a hard time with this because we have a, we have a culture that's preaching to us to be soft on error. Love people. Stay tender-hearted. But don't ever be tender-hearted toward a lie. It is our responsibility to maintain firmness against error. Why? Because we love people. Because we love God. If we believe lies, we'll damage people, we'll be damaged. And so then uh, he's telling them, because you know the truth, you have the capability to recognize a lie. You know the truth and no lies of the truth, all right? So he's explained to them their consecrated position. He's explained to them their comprehension, you know, all things. He's explained to them, be- therefore, he's building. Because you're consecrated, you have comprehension. Because you have an unction, an anointing, God teaches you what to think. Because you have the Spirit of God and you have His Word, you have comprehension of the truth. And because you have comprehension of the truth, you have the ability to recognize a lie. No lie is of the truth. And then He gives an explanation of the believer's caution. He says, verse 22, Who is a liar? So He's just said, No lies of the truth. Well, who is a liar but He that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Verse 26, he explains this. He's he's explaining, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. He said, I've written these things concerning those who are coming in to seduce you. I want to read to you the definition of the word seduce. In the Strong's Concordance, it means to um, to, uh, properly cause to roam from safety, from the truth, ...or from virtue. Okay, so verse 26, he's explaining his caution to them. He says, here's why I'm writing to you. I'm writing because there are those who are seducing you... ...or seeking to seduce you... ...and I'm telling you about your unction... ...that you have the Spirit of God... ...that you know the truth... ...and that you can recognize a lie... ...because there are those who are seducing you... ...and I want you to be aware... ...that there are those people trying to draw you away. And so, to seduce again means to cause to roam... ...from safety, truth, or virtue... Means to go astray, or to cause to go astray, to deceive, or err, to wonder, or be out of the way. Make no mistake, when you get hold of the truth of the gospel, Satan will purposely endeavor to draw you away from it. To get, to shake your confidence, to believe something else. When the Spirit of God has spoken and you know the truth, Satan will try to discredit the truth so that you turn away from it. May I say this tonight, Christian? I believe with all of my heart we are to love people. But you have a loyalty to truth if you're going to love people. I cannot tell you the number of people I've watched in my life prefer personality over principles to their own destruction. To the destruction of churches. To the destruction of families. Love people, but not more than the truth. Because when you love people more than the truth, you're not really loving people. It is the truth that sets us free. We, listen... We have a duty to be loyal to the truth, even unto death. In Revelation, they love not their lives, even unto death. Why? For the testimony of Jesus Christ. What's the testimony of Jesus Christ? The truth concerning who the Lord Jesus Christ is. I'll say this again. It's going to be hard-pressed for you to meet somebody. They're out here who say, I do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In this country, in this, in this county, But you will find people that say, no, I believe he's the son of God. Do you believe he's God? I believe he's the son of God. Please explain that to me. what they mean is he's man who became God. They are Antichrist. They have the spirit of Antichrist. You say, well, aren't they Christians too? And I don't think people most in this room would think that. No, they're not. You say, how can we help people like that? Don't go along with the lie. Be loyal to the truth and say, no, that's not who Jesus is. Well, how do you know? He told us. We know the truth. Therefore, we can recognize a lie. Proverbs tells us, buy the truth and sell it not. There are too many of God's children willing to sell the truth for something else, for a substitute, something that's close to the truth. I told you tonight that this book is pink. Would you agree with me? Well, you judgmental bunch. Is it pink? Close to pink? If I hold it in the light just right, it kind of looks pink. If I said, but to me it's pink, that's what pink looks like to me. Does that work? No. But you know what? If I call that pink, you'd say, no, that's not pink. But if I said it's neon green, we'd all go, no. Because that's way off, isn't it? Satan very rarely says that's neon green. He says, well, I'd call it He's going to tell you, you say, does he care about colors? No, I'm talking about doctrines. He loves to get that close to the truth to get us why. Why does he tell things that close to the truth? To get us away from the truth. It's the truth that strengthens us. It's the truth that our faith is built on. Listen, the church is the pillar and the ground of the fellowship. Fellowship is based on truth. Take away truth, fellowship gets broken. Truth must be the premium. It is, listen, it's Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, if we get disloyal to the truth, we might as well shut down. Our primary product for this community is the truth. It's for ourselves to hold fast to it. And so then John's telling them, you have a consecrated position, you have comprehension because of the spirits indwelling and your unction. Therefore, you have capability to recognize a lie. And I write these things to you because of them, that seduce you. Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 edition, defines seduce this way, to draw aside or entice from the path of rectitude and duty in any manner. Don't miss what that says. To draw aside or entice from the path of rectitude and duty in any manner by flattery, promises, bribes or otherwise, to tempt and lead to iniquity, to, to, to corrupt or to deprave. And that's what it means in the biblical sense. He gives the example, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. The idea would be this, that Satan uses bait to pull us away from what God has revealed to us by His Holy Spirit. To get us into some sin, to get us to depart from the will of God. That's why John would say later, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. What we believe determines what we do. You know, I don't drink alcohol. I don't, um, I don't frequent bars. I don't, um, how shall else I say here? I don't chew tobacco. You say you hate people that do? No. I'm just persuaded through the Word of God, those are things that the one who saved me does not want me to do. What I believe determines what I do. I don't use God's name in vain. Why? Because I believe from the Bible he doesn't want me. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You could sit and tell some of the things you do. My point is, why, why not? Because I don't believe from God's word that I'm supposed to, so that affects my decision. Same with you. What you believe affects what you do. And if Satan can get you to quit believing the truth, he can get you to start doing wrong. I cannot tell you the number of people tonight who are saved, but they believe error about what it means to be a Christian. They've been seduced by some slick-talking liar who doesn't even believe in Christ Himself, but has offered them an easier path than the cross-bearing Christianity of the Bible. You don't have to bear a cross to get saved, but if you're going to love the Lord Jesus, you have to bear a cross. We, uh, he bore the cross of our salvation, but we bear a cross of service because He saved us. There is a crossless Christianity today that has seduced many a person that allows them to blend with the world, fit in with the world, pay no price for Christianity, and it's a seduction. It's Not truth. You know what it's robbed people of? Not their salvation. It's robbed them of fruitfulness. They've not won anybody to Christ in who knows how long. They maybe have not even attempted. Why? Because they bought a bill of goods about what it means to be a Christian. It's called seduction. We've been disloyal to our Savior by not standing with Him where He stands. And we believe we're good Christians in the process because the world likes us. May I help us with something? We are commanded to love the world, but we are never commanded to get them to like us. You say we're supposed to be unlikable? No, just be true. Some will love you. Some will hate you. Some you'll win. Some you won't. But we have a duty to our Savior Many have been robbed today. I believe most American Christians have been robbed of what we could have been because we've not, maybe not believed an entirely false gospel, but to some degree. After we got saved, we departed from the truth. And we didn't lose salvation. We sure have lost productivity and effectiveness and victory. And so then John warns them. He says, my caution is because of them that seduce you. May I caution you tonight? Say, so what can we do if we're going to recognize error? You already know the answer to this. How do we go about recognizing error? How do we keep from being deceived and drawn off of the path of God's will for our life? You know the truth. Be familiar with the word of your Savior. Watch you and pray lest you enter into temptation. And my point is this. If you are familiar with the truth, if you are filling your heart with Bible, you won't get fooled. You won't get fooled. Why did Peter get off of the path of devotion and loyalty the night of the crucifixion? Because he believed his impulses over the word of his Savior. Don't miss this. He felt that he was deeply loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know Peter felt that? Because like anything else he felt, he said it. (laughs) He said so. He said, all these may deny you, but not me, not I. They may, but not me. Jesus clearly told him the truth. He said, this night thou shalt deny me thrice. And he said, no, Lord, I won't. You know why Peter got in trouble that night? Because he believed something other than God's word. It's a temptation for every one of us to believe our impulses, to believe our intellectual reasoning. Every one of us have strengths. How many of you are pretty good at um, first impressions? You meet somebody, pretty good at reading somebody on first impression. You know what we're prone to do sometimes? Trust that. Use it if God gives it to you, but we shouldn't trust our impulses and our impressions. Well, I just normally when I have a sense about something, man, it's right. Well, if that's from God and it's based on the Bible, that's good, but if it's just based on my confidence in myself, I'm going to blow it. Some say, well, I'm very good at thinking things through. Thinking things through don't make things true. It's the word of God that's truth. Amen? Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So his explanation to the saints then in First John 2 again, verses 22 and 23, his exposure of the seducers. He says this again, verse 22, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Now, for brains like mine that get all hung up on little details, which is not a blessing so much as a curse, sometimes I read in the New Testament, I'm afraid I'm like old Philip in John 14. Jesus is talking. If I ask you tonight, how does a person get saved? They need to put their faith in whom? No, they need to put their faith in the Father. That's what John 5.24 says. Right. Turn there, if you would. John chapter five. We should never separate. They are two separate persons, but they are one God always. John chapter five. And here's why this is important. There are people that say, oh, how many of you know this? Let me try to use this as an example. There are those today who would feel we talk about our Judeo Christian heritage as a nation. Right. Our Judeo Christian heritage. How many of you would think that many a Christian feels friendly toward Judaism because they basically believe what we do? How many of you know that modern-day Judaism is as false as modern-day Islam? Why? Because they reject Christ. They reject Christ. I heard today a woman was talking on the subject surrounding it was uh, Jewish Christians, people who are truly Jewish by blood and have been born again. And her question was this, it was to a, uh, it was an interview to a fellow a Jewish believer. That's what they professed to be. I don't know who they were. They professed to be trusting Christ alone for their salvation. And the question was this, why do so many Jew people, Jewish people who practice Judaism allow so many sins and don't really think much of it, things that are revealed in their own scriptures to be sin, but it's like the cardinal sin would be faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah? Oh, valid question. Because it's a a truth. My point is this. We might have the idea, well, Judaism is basically what we believe because they believe in Jehovah God and we believe in Jehovah God. No, friend, Judaism of today is the spirit of Antichrist. It is. And I understand we're to love the Jewish people and give them the gospel, but we must also understand that's the spirit of Antichrist. It's a false religion. Their Messiah already came and they rejected him. And so John chapter 5, Jesus says this. That's where we were headed and I got a little sidetracked. Verse 23, uh, verse 24. Verily, verily, what a wonderful verse. I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Now I thought John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here he says, You've got to believe on him that sent me. You cannot believe on the Son without believing on the Father. And you cannot believe on the Father without believing on the Son. Someone says, I trust God, but I reject Jesus. No, you don't. You don't know God. That's why I brought up the illustration of Judaism. So will they trust in Jehovah God, not if they've rejected Jesus Christ. No one who rejects Jesus Christ is going to heaven because God will not allow someone into heaven who's not trusted Him. Eh, that's what John's saying, there are those who are telling you they're righteous, there are those who are telling you that they are in God's family, but they have said that Jesus is not the Christ. They don't know the Father or the Son if they say that. I've met people in, in, in recent days, in very recent days that I know some good people. Now they are not Christians like I am, but they're good people and they believe in God. And this person was speaking what they were saying in some level of ignorance, so I, I, I tried to be very gentle. I said, no, I understand what you're saying. They may be nice people, they may be ethical people, but if they have rejected Jesus Christ, they don't believe God. You cannot believe and trust God and reject Jesus Christ. This is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Meaning, if you reject Christ, you have full well rejected God the Father because they are one. And so then, that's what John says, He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. To deny Jesus Christ of being the Christ is to call God the Father a liar. God the Father, through God the Spirit, said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So to say, I don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, is to say that I believe God is a liar. That's why John says what he says. Verse 23, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son, hath the Father also. John does two things in exposing the seducers. The epitome of a deceiver is someone who would deny that Jesus is the Christ. Notice what he says. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He said, I'm going to give you the epitome of a deceiver. Anyone who would deny that Jesus is the, not a, the Christ, that, is what a liar is. That tells you how firm John was in his conviction that Jesus is the very Savior of the world, the Christ. i to ask you something. If you had personally witnessed the physical resurrection of Jesus, wouldn't you say the same? There was nothing that was going to shake those apostles from their confidence in Christ. They were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. God did that on purpose so we would have strong consolation to hold on to. So you and I would know when Satan in this time says, it really is all just a fairy tale that over time has grown into a huge religion. God gave us his record to say, no, it's not. Jesus is the Christ and the epitome of a liar is someone who would deny that. That means most of the world are liars. We all were until we got saved. I was not you were, but... The epitome of a liar is someone who would deny the deity of Jesus Christ, would deny the fact that he is the only way of salvation. That is a liar. And so then, the epitome of a deceiver, verse 22, the extent of their deception, verse 23, whosoever denieth the Son, uh, the same hath not the Father. Meaning, when they deny Christ, they don't have God at all. They, They do not know God. That's the extent of that whole thing. If you're taking notes, you could jot down Luke 10, 16, and John 12:44 through 50 as good cross references for that concept of denying the Son is a denial of the Father. There's a host of other scriptures, but Luke 10:16 and John 12:44 through 50 are great references on that. Number three, John not only gives explanation to the saints in verses 20 and. 21 27 he exposes the seducers in verses 22 and 23 and then in verses 24 down to verse 29 he gives some exhortation to the saints as we'll start wrapping things up here verse 27 uh, excuse me let's back up just a little bit verse 24 "Uh, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning meaning the truth you received when you got saved that jesus is the christ don't ever question it don't ever let it go If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son, and in the Father. Let me just make reference very quickly. The Bible, on numerous occasions, gives us the understanding there are those who seem to have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who truly did not. They are represented in the parable of the sower in the seed that had no root. It sprung up immediately. And this is important to understand. so throughout Scripture, the mark of a sincere believer is someone who does not change their mind about faith in Christ. They've come to look you may disobey God and have to go to the woodshed. that's not what we 're talking about. We are talking about there comes a point where you say, I flat out reject that Jesus is the Son of God. I reject the whole thing. We have men today who said at one time they were Christian pastors, and today they're atheists and we said they lost their salvation, no, they never had it. That's what this is dealing with. First Corinthians 4 calls it this, believing in vain. Except you have believed in vain. Meaning you pretended to believe, but you didn't really accept it in your heart. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart. Meaning you've accepted this is absolute truth. How many of you know somebody will tell you something sometimes you think, Man, I think that might be true. I think that might be true. Hmm. Boy, that seems true. Are you a believer yet? What if someone really said, it's true, it's true, and under that pressure you said, okay, 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 I believe it, it's true. But in here you're still thinking, I'm not sure if it's true. I don't think it is. I'm not ta- look, I'm not talking about Satan. John the Baptist said, art thou the one or look we for another? Was he an unbeliever or was he battling doubt? I'm not saying Satan will hit you with doubt. But by and by you'll go back to the word of God and say, no, it's true, God said it. God said it. Unless you have believed in vain, that's what John's saying here in verse 24. Let, them therefore, let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, meaning you hold the truth, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. Now again, I'm not talking to you about having to hang on to Jesus. I'm talking about sincere faith versus feigned faith. I mean, I understand what the word "feign" means? I pretend. I pretend, And so then he said, no, the mark of someone who's truly believed is you let that remain in you. You don't reject, even though the seducers come. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he hath promised us, even what kind of life? Eternal life. That's how we know he's not talking about losing salvation. The life we received upon faith in Christ is what? Eternal. He's reminding them, your promise was eternal and is eternal life. And so then he's he's exhorting them by beginning to give them some counsel. Verse 24, Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Jesus said it this way in John fifteen-seven. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and shall be done to you. And remember this as well. All of this is in the context of fellowship as well. So there is an abiding in the sense of He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. If you've sincerely believed, there's, there may be times you doubt, you may question, you may be hit with doubts, but let that remain in you which you've heard from the beginning. Verse 26, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. He said, I'm writing this because there are people trying to deceive you. Verse 27, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Meaning, you let his word abide in you, but he's not going to leave you nor forsake you. We touched on this verse last week. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Meaning, you don't need extra teaching or extracurricular teaching outside of the instruction of the Spirit of God. You don't need someone to give you more knowledge than what God can give you. We touched on that last week. So he gives them counsel, and then he gives them a number of things that are consoling or a consolation. He reminds them of the promise of God. The promise of God, verse 25, is eternal life not temporary life that comes and goes eternal life he reminds them of his purpose for writing he loved them and was cautioning them concerning seducers he reminds them of the permanence of the anointing of the believer that which that that anointing that you have that received of him abideth in you and because it abides in you you need not uh, have any man teach you you don't need someone to teach you more than that as we've already said uh, he speaks of the perfection of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. All these things are consoling to those who believe. He said, you were given the truth. Don't ever. You don't even need to think of rejecting it. It's still true today like it was the day you believed it. Let it remain in you, and you'll continue in the Father and the Son. He's not going to leave you. He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. The life He gave is eternal. So don't let that catch your attention. Let me put it to you this way. If I am satisfied with something... If I'm satisfied with the tie I'm wearing tonight and you come and say, hey, I got a tie to match your suit. I said, I don't need one. I got one on. Oh, but this is nicer. I said, I'm satisfied with what I got. I believe what John is trying to do is, is settle them and look when God saved you. He came to stay. He gave you eternal life. What you heard from the beginning is true. So just retain that. Keep, don't ever, don't ever put that aside there. Are those who are trying to get you to reject the truth you're told concerning who Jesus is. What you're told is true. The anointing that you have is permanent. The promise that you have is eternal life. Now, you continue in that. What you have is what you need. Uh, Hebrews 13 says it this way. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Why? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I wish Christians would understand how enriched we are and how enriched we were made the day we got saved. And we think, oh, you know, the Christian life is so hard. I wish we could just lay hold of. We have everything we need in Christ. He has made unto us wisdom and sanctification and honor. What do you need tonight that your Savior who lives inside of you cannot provide you? If you know you have Christ and that's enough... What can Satan use to seduce you away from his word? Nothing. But the seducers say, what you have isn't quite what you need. Somebody, may I say this, I believe every child of God has to have a wilderness experience as a Christian where we say, man, Christian life's a little dry and barren, like the Old Testament children of Israel in the wilderness. It's at those moments that Satan comes along and says, well, that's because you believed a lie. Christian life is so difficult because you were told, you know, if the Christian life were so wonderful like everybody told you it was, isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? <laughs> Do you feel wonderful? This struggle, does it feel good to you? That's because you bl- look at this. This is what's really true. Have you noticed how many people today say, well, let me tell you what's really true. In context, to something the Bible already says. If you want the real truth. Look, there's not real truth and not real truth. There's truth and lies. But if you want the real truth, what they're suggesting is what we have is not true. I remember a woman uh, one time, I was on a ski trip as a bus driver, and I was working on some things. I've shared this with you before on a computer, and I'm in a coffee shop, and she was having a conversation over here quite loudly. And as soon as she was done with that conversation, she came and sat at the table right here. And she said, So, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, that's wonderful. I love talking to pastors. And I kid you not, I thought, Oh, no. This is trouble, and it was. She wanted to explain to me how because of mistranslation of the Bible that we believe Jesus was born of a virgin, but he really wasn't. That when it says he was born of a young woman, that's what it's supposed to say back there in the book of Isaiah. And that Catholicism and Christendom, as we would know it, has promoted the idea of the virgin birth, but it never was true. You know what she was trying to tell me? So here's the real truth. She let me know that you have to know palaleo Hebrew. Same thing a man in town told me to unlock the mysteries of Scripture. And if you don't understand that Hebrew, you'll never know what God really said. You know what she was? She was a Gnostic. She is a, 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 a person who knew the gospel and has denied it. And I don't mean any unkindness, but she's on her way to a devil's hell because she denied Christ. And how do we know? Because it's not what God said. You know why the Bible? God doesn't want you trusting your Bible? So He can get you to believe a lie. If you open your Bible and say, well, I hope it was translated correctly, then, friend, you're already open to a host of lies. But if you say, you know what? The God who created the universe is big enough to inspire and preserve this book. I'll just trust what it says. You'll be the simpleton, but you'll be on the right track. I don't mean you'll be a real simpleton. with what the world will call a simpleton. And so then he gives them counsel. He gives them consolation. Then he gives them a commandment, verse 28, that we'd all do well to take heed to. In the end of verse 27, he says, But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, in His truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Meaning, be loyal to Christ and his word. Just abide in him. Abide in him. The opposite of abiding in him is getting offended at him. Letting something he says offend us. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. This is a reference to John chapter 15 where Jesus gave that wonderful account about the vine and the branches and the branches to abide in the vine if we're going to get life. Listen, don't don't accept any belief that's in conflict with God's Word. This is the mind of Christ. How much of it? Only the doctrine of salvation by the accounts of some today. If it's not a deal with the doctrine of salvation, you don't have to worry about it. So about 90% of the epistles don't count. How do you know that most of Titus is not dealing at all with salvation? Titus three does. The rest of it's dealing with good works, but that doesn't count. It's the mind of Christ. Don't depart from it. Don't have any verse of Scripture that you come to and say, "Well, that's just not my view." I'm going to have to reject that one. Oh, friend, you'll be in trouble. You'll lose your fellowship. You won't lose your salvation, but I promise you, you'll lose your fellowship. Never take exception with the Word of God. Never, not ever. Wherever we have exception with the Word of God, that's where Satan will hammer you and offer you counter-truth. So then, he says, no, abide in him, abide in him. Why? That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know what this tells me? And and I believe this. I believe most people feel like when the Lord comes, we're all going to be ashamed. We don't have to be. How do I keep from being ashamed when he comes? Abide in him. Meaning, don't let anything he says offend you. Let his word remain in you, and you continue to trust him and obey him. Stay close to the Lord through obedience. That's what abiding in him is, by the way. It's obeying him. It's Accepting his word and obeying him. And he says, why? So, not so that when he comes, you won't be lost and perish. No, you don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming. I don't have any better illustration. It gets used and overused, I suppose, but it would be like this. My wife and I go off to the, for the evening. We'll have dinner. We leave some very clear instructions about the way things are done. And along the lines, one of the kids says, you know what, I want to go do this. One of the other kids said, wait, Mom and Dad said at this time we're supposed to start getting ready for bed. I'm not ready to get ready for bed. I don't like that. I think they would be fine if we went ahead and played this game for another 30 minutes. But they said, start getting ready for bed. You know what abiding in us looks like? They say, well, they said, we're just to obey. So that child decides, nope, I don't think what they said is what I'll do. And so they start doing their own thing. And then they get a couple of the other kids to do the same thing. They talk them into it. It's really actually okay. And all of a sudden, the headlights start coming up the driveway, and there's great clarity. Oh, no. A lot of people, if the Lord showed up right now, would go, oh, no. I knew I'm not living the way he told me to. John's saying, you know the truth. Don't let these seducers pull you off track. Abide in him. If you know somebody tonight is not right on the person of Christ, don't give them two seconds of your time. Why? They'll pull you off track. They will pull you off track. The world has no say over the way we live our lives. We're Christ's business. Amen? So he says, abide in him. That's his commandment. Finally, his conclusion, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, yeah, I I read today uh, the commentary on this. It helped me so much. He said, here's the thing. How many of us are righteous? According to Romans 3, 10 and 12. Not one. He said, but we know he's righteous. Therefore, he says, you know this. You know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Meaning, you know he's righteous, and the only way anyone else can be righteous is to be born of him. So anyone who claims to be righteous but rejects Christ, you know, is a liar. Now, there are people that do a real good job. Do you realize there are people today that look more and act more like Christians than some true believers do? Because they're really good counterfeits, but they deny Jesus Christ. Don't you let them fool you. They're not righteous if they're not born of him. The only ones that do righteousness are the ones that got righteousness from Jesus Christ. The only way to do what's right is to be right, and the only way to be right is to be born again. There's none of us righteous in of ourselves. Only Righteousness comes only through Jesus Christ. So anything that is said to be righteous but rejects Christ is a lie. Does that make sense? I believe it's what John's saying. Saying not only to those believers, but the Spirit of God through this, saying it to us. Beware of those that would seduce us.